which is eternal, which gathers your hearts together up to the Lord, and lets you see that he are written in one another's hearts. Chapter 4, Waiting Worship. One persistent misunderstanding of some friends and attenders is that friends reject outward forms. This is not true. Friends' unique practices flow from a conviction concerning what is the right outward form. The right form for church government, worship, and ministry answers the same question. How should we act? What should be our response if Jesus Christ is present in our midst, desiring to speak? To friends, the answer is that we should sit in reverence, waiting for him to speak. Thus, friends gather in reverence, waiting to be spoken to, spoken through, and led. When gathered with Christ Jesus, who is the head of the church, friends expect that there will be no speaking unless it is ocular. No one is to speak except to speak the words of God and in the power of God. The words and power of God, friends emphasize, are perceptible as such. The words and power of God melt our hearts in an inimitable and undeniable way. In some ways, friends' understanding with respect to worship is closer to the high church liturgical traditions than the low church traditions of most Protestants. The highly liturgical traditions seek to center their worship on the presence of Christ, though they often associate the presence with elements of their communion or Eucharist. Protestants carry on a worship service centered on a sermon surrounding with songs and prayers. Friends intend worship to be centered on the presence of Christ as the living word longing to be spoken. As the Apostle Paul advised the Corinthian church, anyone may share words, prayers, or songs so long as it is an oracle of the Spirit. There is no programmed order. Advanced preparations consist of prayer and introspection, not arranging hymns and scripture verses. Friends have never claimed that silence was a consistent practice of the early church. But if we were to speak as oracles of the Spirit in right order as the earliest Christians were instructed, inward stillness and outward silence are the first steps until we are given what to speak and told when to speak it. Thus, we gather not so much in silence as in submission. In describing waiting worship, Robert Barclay wrote, quote, When assembled, it should be the common task of one and all to wait upon God. It should be a time for turning away from one's own thoughts and for suspending the imagination in order to feel the presence of the Lord in the midst and to know a true gathering in his name according to his promise. Then, when everyone is thus gathered and all meet together inwardly in their spirits as well as outwardly in their persons, the secret power and virtue of life are known to refresh the soul. It is there that the pure motions and breathings of God's Spirit are felt to arise. As words of declaration, prayers, or praises arise from these promptings of the Spirit, the acceptable worship is known which edifies the Church and is pleasing to God. 
No one limits the Spirit of God in such worship or brings forth his own laboriously assembled ideas, but everyone will state whatever the Lord has placed in his heart. And it will not be uttered from man's own will or wisdom, but in the evidence and demonstration of the Spirit and power. Unquote. Barclay summarized his understanding this way. Quote, Our worship consists neither in words nor in silence as such, but in a holy dependence of the mind upon God. For such a dependence, it is necessary to begin with silence until the words can be brought forth which arise from God's Spirit. Unquote. Barclay claims that, quote, even if thousands were to be convinced intellectually of the truths we maintain, if they could not feel this inward life and their souls did not turn away from unrighteousness, they would add nothing to us, unquote. Barclay describes his own powerful experience of coming into waiting worship this way, quote, In part, this is how I came to be a true witness, for it was not by strength of arguments, rather, it was by being mysteriously reached by this life. For when I came under the silent assemblies of God's people, I felt a secret power among them which touched my heart. And as I gave way to it, I found the evil in me weakening and the good raised up. Thus it was that I was knit into them and united with them, and I hungered more and more for the increase of this power and life until I could feel myself perfectly redeemed." Unquote. Friends' literature abounds with advices, descriptions, and insights concerning waiting worship. The following selections were published in Britain Yearly Meetings, Faith and Practice in 1994. Sometime around 1700, Elias Pugh wrote, And when God sees fit to put a word into the mouth of any of the worshippers, that worshipper is to speak what God hath revealed and taught him, so he is to give it forth in demonstration and power, and in the virtue and life of the Spirit, that it may be to the edification in the church, for deep calls unto deep, and life reaches unto life, and the congregation goes deeper into the waters to drink freely. And if anything be revealed to one that sits by when the first is silent, that stream of spiritual gift is turned to the other, because that spiritual liberty is the true church for everyone to speak as they are moved by the Holy Spirit. In 1941, Thomas Kelly wrote, In this humanistic age, we suppose man is the initiator and God is the responder. But the living Christ within us is the initiator and we are the responders. God, the lover, the accuser, the revealer of light and darkness presses within us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and all our apparent initiative is already a response, a testimonial to his secret presence and working within us. The basic response of the soul to the light is internal adoration and joy, thanksgiving and worship, self-surrender and listening. In 1895, John Bellows wrote, I know of no other way in these deeper depths of trusting in the name of the Lord and staying upon him, then sinking into the silence and nothingness before him. As long as the enemy can keep us reasoning, he can buffet us to and fro. But into the solemn silence of the soul before God, he cannot follow.
1657, George Fox wrote, Friends meet together and know one another in that which is eternal, which was before the world was. In 1987, John Pushin wrote, Friends have never regarded worship as an individual activity. People who regard friends' meetings as opportunities for meditation have failed to appreciate this corporate aspect. The waiting and listening are activities in which everyone is engaged and produce spoken ministry which helps to articulate the common guidance which the Holy Spirit is believed to give the group as a whole. So the waiting and listening is corporate also. This is why friends emphasize the ministry of silence and the importance of coming to meeting regularly with heart and minds prepared. In 1940, Thomas R. Kelly wrote, What is the ground and foundation of the gathered meeting? In the last analysis, it is, I am convinced, the real presence of God. In 1660, Alexander Parker wrote, The first that enters into the place of your meeting, turn in thy mind to the light and wait upon God singly, as if none were present but the Lord, and here thou art strong. Then the next that comes in, let them in simplicity of heart sit down and turn to the same light and wait in the Spirit. And so all the rest coming in, in fear of the Lord, sit down in pure stillness and silence of all flesh and wait in the light. Those who are brought to a pure, still waiting upon God in the Spirit are come nearer to God than words are. For God is a Spirit, and in the Spirit is He worshipped. In such a meeting, there will be an unwillingness to part asunder, being ready to say to yourselves, It is good to be here and this in the end of all words and writings to bring people to the eternal living word. In 1765, London Yearly Meeting published this statement. Our Lord says, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. In these words, he invites us not only to meet with one another, but in doing so with himself also. Shall the poor, perishing gratifications of self and self-love or any inconveniences of a trivial nature be suffered to prevent our dutiful attendance upon him? In him, whom alone stands our everlasting interest? Shall a cloudy sky, a little wet, a little cold, a little ease to the flesh, a view to a little earthly gain, or any common incident furnish an excuse for declining this duty, and thereby depriving ourselves of the blessed advantage, often vouchsafed to the faithful, of enjoying heavenly communion together in the Spirit with the Lord of life and glory. In 1741, John Woolman wrote, I went to meetings in a reverent state of mind, and endeavored to be inwardly acquainted with the language of the true shepherd. And one day, being under a strong exercise of the Spirit, I stood up, and said some words in a meeting, but, not keeping close to the vine opening, I said more than what was required of me, and being soon sensible to my error, I was afflicted in mind for some weeks without any light or comfort, even to that degree that I could take satisfaction in nothing. I remembered God and was troubled, and in the depth of my distress he had pity on me and sent the Comforter. 
I then felt forgiveness for my offense, and my mind became calm and quiet, being truly thankful to my gracious Redeemer for His mercies. And after this, feeling the spring of divine love opened, and a concern to speak, I said a few words in a meeting in which I found peace. This, I believe, was about six weeks from the first time, and as I was thus humbled and disciplined under the cross, my understanding became more strengthened to distinguish the language of the pure spirit which inwardly moves upon the heart, and taught me to wait in silence, sometimes many weeks together, until I felt that rise which prepares the creature to stand like a trumpet, through which the Lord speaks to his flock. In 1734, John Churchman wrote, Ministry should be of necessity and not of choice, and there is no living by silence or by preaching merely. In 1657, George Fox wrote, The intent of all speaking is to bring into the life and to walk in and to possess the same and to live in and enjoy it and to feel God's presence. Mind that which is eternal, which gathers your hearts together up to the Lord, and lets you see that ye are written in one another's hearts. This podcast has presented a portion of the book Traditional Quaker Christianity. The book was assembled and edited by Terry Wallace, Jack and Susan Smith, and Arthur Burke. It was read by Chip Thomas, and the audio edited by the same. The music was provided by Paulette Meyer. Paulette's music is available at paulettemeyer.com.